Welcome to the Orange Crest Community Church Podcast. Our hope is that this weekly podcast provides both encouragement and challenge as you move forward in your relationship with Jesus Christ. Thank you so much for listening. We are right in the middle of a series that we're doing on identity, and we're looking through the book of First Peter at what the Bible describes uh, of the identity of a Christ follower. And so if, if you are a Christ follower, follower already, then verses and chapter, well, chapters or books like First Peter, are, they give us a real clear picture of that new primary identity, the core of who we are in Christ. Now, this is a change from, if, you know, before you knew Christ personally, it was different. Things changed at the very core of who you are once you have become a Christian. Peter understood this. He experienced this huge radical shift in his life. Peter was a strong, tough fisherman. And he yielded his life to follow Christ and follow Jesus. And Jesus used him to be one of the key leaders in the movement of Christianity. And when Peter left those nets behind and followed Jesus, just everything radically changed. And Peter understood what it was like to have life turned upside down. It's very, very extreme. And so some of the things we're looking at this morning are, are going to touch on the extreme changes that occur for a Christian. Uh, specifically, today we're going to look at what Peter wrote regarding our attitude and our approach towards authority. Say it again, authority, okay? With authority, there's a little more of an emotional response almost immediately to the subject of authority. And in, in fact, sometimes we hear about authority or we start thinking about authority figures in our lives and we might start like twitching a little bit because we've had a rough experience with authority. So we get a little nervous around authority and and so we're going to talk about some of that today, specifically some of the tension that exists for us. But I want to just address some of the emotional reactions that we face regarding authority so that we don't just completely check out and miss what God would want to say to us. Because maybe you're already having an emotional reaction to the word itself of authority. So before we really, I'm going to pray in just a few moments um, before we look at the, the passages in Scripture. But do, do any of these pictures stir you? Stir emotions in you. Here's the first one. Teacher. Okay? Teacher's an authority figure. Teachers bring up memories from the past. Okay? You might still be a student right now, so you might be right in the middle of the tension with your teacher. The challenges that your teacher is demanding and putting pressure on you, and, and there's deadlines and there's grades. And, but if you go even further back, you know, just having gone through schooling and all of that, there's a challenge sometimes just that we face regarding authority. Not everybody has struggled with following the, the teacher, but some have. Uh, have you ever been sent to the principal's office? I have. Anybody else? Okay, a couple hands. You know, thanks for being honest. Appreciate that. That's the first step in most is change. <laughs> Only uh, I, I went to the principal's office in kindergarten, Okay. I was only in a private school for three years, kindergarten, first, and second grade. I was in a private Christian school, and then I went to public school all through the rest of, of growing up until I headed off to college. But one day in kindergarten, my teacher sent me to the principal's office, and, and I got a spanking by the principal. What? Somebody's like, what? Different era, okay? Different era. Some of you in the room know this. You know, experience, you got spanked by your principal probably too. And so uh, here's how it went down though. And after all these years, I still feel a little unjustly 
uh, accused in this in this scenario. So what happened was the teacher was disciplining I, another kid. Another kid was in trouble, and so taking the, this other kid out of the room, and she explicitly said, "Heads down on your desk, don't move," because she was leaving the room. It was a combo class. There was kindergarten and first grade. So my sister, who's in first grade and I'm in kindergarten, was in class with me. So I'm, I'm heads down. I'm a pretty compliant person. I mean, usually I'm like a rule follower. Heads down, my pencil rolls off my desk. It really happened, okay? Well, it rolled off my desk, and I'm also the kind of person that needs to, like, that bugs me. <laughs> I like things in order. My pencil fell down, and so I got up, and I quickly, like, retrieved my pencil. And as I was coming back, the door opened, and the teacher sees that I'm not in my desk. And she said, Joshua, what are you doing out of your desk? My sister said, he threw his pencil. (laughs) I did not throw my pencil. It rolled off my desk, and I retrieved it. I got under pressure, because that's another thing I do, is I don't know what to do under pressure, and you're coming with me. So we go off to the principal's office. I get spanked and told, you know, that this is going to help me. And uh, I maintained my plea of innocence. I maintained that to this day. And they, they believed my sister. Now, any time in the last 35 years that I've driven by, you know, probably five at that time, I'm 40 now. Any time I've driven by that school in Sonoma, California, that's all I remember about that school. That's the only experience I remember about Sonoma Valley Christian School. And... Uh, now, until this year, I drove by that school. We happen to be in that area. I drove by that school, and it's like I'm the tour guide. This is where I went and got Slurpees. This is, this is where I went to school. I was going to tell about the spanking and everything, but it's not a school anymore, finally. <laughs> Justice has been served. Someone shut them down, and I'm... Anyway, thanks for listening. Here's another picture. Police officers. Authority figures. Have you ever been pulled over? I'm going to have to admit to this one again. Maybe you've been ticketed by an officer, or maybe you've had a bad interaction with a police officer, and this image startles you a bit. It's kind of like, yes, officer, I understand, but can I just get a warning? Yeah, I know I was, but can I just get a warning this time? Or what about this picture? Here's another picture of a judge. Maybe you've sat in a courtroom, in a court case, and or maybe you served on a jury, and whenever the judge lays that gavel down, it's going to impact us, right? It's going to impact us, and so that may cause, this picture and this idea may cause a negative reaction. Here's another picture, another authority figure. The boss. The world's best boss. You know, he this is a joke, you know, from a sitcom, The Office. He's a quirky, incompetent boss, and this may be your attitude towards bosses in general, though. Have you ever stepped across the line with your boss and deserved to be reprimanded? You don't have to, you know, you don't have to <laughs> tell your story. It's okay. One time I really stepped across the line, and my boss sat me down and said, he said, hey, come into my office. And I was answering questions 
uh, in staff meetings that I wasn't supposed to be answering. It was, it was his right to lead, and people would ask questions. He was answering questions, or he, I was answering questions for him. And after a few days of this, he said, hey, Josh, come to my office. And I said, sure, bro. Come sit down. He rolls his chair up next to me. He said, well, first, I'm your boss, not your bro. I thought, yes, you are, yeah. <laughs> and uh, that, that began a conversation about knowing my place in the, in the organization and taking my place. And, and so maybe there's a reaction for you in this regard. What about this authority figure? Uh-oh, just got real, like, there's a lot of emotions right now related to him right now. It's heated in our country right now. You know, there, there seems to be a spectrum of authority, responses to authority. You know, we, we think about, just a moment, for where you fit along the line of this spectrum, of these extremes. You have the rule followers, and then you have maybe the rule breaker. And then we're, we're probably somewhere in the, in the middle. You know, I don't know where you'd place yourself in this. Take a moment to think, think through, where, where would I place myself along those lines? Okay, everybody stand up. You're identifying something right now. Okay, you can all sit down, you know. You see what just happened there? There's a spectrum. Some of you is like, he told me to stand up. I, I, I guess I should stand up, you know. And others, maybe you're like, uh, stand up, sit down. We've done enough of that this morning. Like, I'm going to stay seated. Or I'll get around to it. And so... When it comes to rules, sometimes I, mean, I thought, man, that's more of a suggestion than a rule. So I'm talking about this in these different categories because I want us to really understand the many ways that this issue plays out. Whether you tend to be a rule follower or a rule breaker or someone, if you're a Christ follower, then we are called to live above our emotions and called to live above our experiences. And this is what's going to challenge us this morning, is this issue of, of authority. We're called to live above our experiences and above our emotions. And so let's pray. Let's stop and we'll pray. Father, we, we pause right now just to ask you to speak to us through your word. These passages are difficult to, uh, some difficult to understand, but then very difficult to apply. So I ask you for clarity in our minds. I ask you for uh, focus right now. I pray that your word would really penetrate the areas of our, of our thinking and our hearts, Lord, so that we would uh, hear from you and respond to you. In Jesus' name, amen. So, through Peter, God, God tells us this, and, and this is the top of your listening guide. Christ followers, and you can fill this out if you'd like. I'm not going to tell you to do it. Christ followers aim to follow well under authority. Christ followers aim to follow well under authority. That's the first point here. This is distinctly different from the culture, though. You find two themes woven through the passages that we're going to look at this morning. The two themes are this, cooperation and respect. 
or authority figures. Cooperation and respect. The three areas that we're going to look at briefly today related to authority are government, work, and marriage. Now, here's the warning. The Bible's direction here is vastly different than what our culture says about these areas. And so because of that, this is going to feel really upside down from our culture. And so this identity issue will rock you more than most issues if you've grown up in Western culture. That's why I said we've kind of eased our way into the pool this morning, because it feels like, oh, this is hard to get, get our minds around this and then get our hearts in this. So well, let's look at God's direction for relating to different authority in different arenas. Towards the government and towards any other legitimate authority, here's what we're told. We're told, cooperate for the Lord's sake. Cooperate for the Lord's sake with authority. Look at First Peter 2, verses 13 and 14 to begin. Peter writes this. Now again, strong, former fisherman, take charge kind of guy. Here's what he writes. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. God rules the world through the authority he puts into place from the rulers or from the leaders of nations to states to cities to bosses at work and even to heads of families. This is the way that God rules the world. He rules it through leaders that he puts into place, both good and bad, for sometimes for a long time, sometimes for a very brief period of time for a purpose. We don't always know why those purposes are, but he rules it through people. Peter's telling us, respect the person in the position. And ultimately, trust God through that. Respect the person in the position and trust God to work out his good plan through that leader. Now, the way that God weaves his power, his sovereign control and power to direct history with our actions and choices, that's a mystery, but he does it. Notice what it says in the, in the previous verse, be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution. You may have a negative reaction here to this command, be subject. We're in a democracy. We're not subject to any ruler. This is a free country. And again, this strikes very close to who we, who we may think we are. But again, the question comes up, does God's word trump, if you're a Christ follower, does God's word trump your emotions? On this matter, human institutions are they're structures created by people to accomplish a purpose. or organizations or institutions and those things need structure to move forward. It's just like a body needs a skeleton structure to move forward. It's very similar. Organizations need a structure. There's an authority structure with a leader over that. Now, what it's saying is who I am in Christ shapes the way I relate to these different authority structures. So, Peter writes, for the Lord's sake. This is a very critical area. And I, I would circle that for the Lord's sake. It's, it's right in that first line. For the Lord's sake. This is going to be applying to every arena of authority. It's for the Lord's sake. What it is, is if you're a Christian, then you're saying, I bear his name, so his reputation is at stake if, if indeed you follow Christ. Then because of that, you live differently. You live differently than the rest of the culture, than the rest of the world, for his sake. And it says this, we're told to be subject to authority. This is a military word. It's a military word in the Greek language. The original language of the New Testament, the Greek word is hupotasso. Hupotasso, it means to arrange under. Okay, It's a military term, to arrange under. Think about the military idea of arranging under the leadership, fall in line in a sense, 
I, I need to know my place. I need to take my place in the organization. And if I don't, it leaves a negative impression on the God whose name I bear. That's the idea for a Christ follower. It, it leaves a negative impression. And as we participate in various organizations in this world, we have a role to play in the structure, and we need to know our role, and we need to play it well. Our role is to support the leaders and the structure. And if we support it well, then what happens is God's reputation is honored, because for the Lord's sake we do this. It's going to keep, Peter's going to keep saying this idea in different ways over and over. Well, also what happens is our leaders are blessed when we uh, submit ourselves to our leaders. Our leaders are blessed. The institution's purposes moving, are moving forward. And so another thing about the way that this phrase, be subject, the verb here is written in, in a certain, it's, it's the middle passive voice in the Greek. Okay? Middle passive means the subject chooses the action and then the action comes back around to them. So I choose to do this. I, I choose to be subject whether I'm forced to or not, I choose to be subject, and it comes back around, and I am subjected, in a sense. I, I choose this, but it's another term, or another way of thinking about this is it's reflexive. So I, I, I make the choice, whether it feels great or not, I take the action, I take the verb. I aim to do good to those over me by eager cooperation. Look at what verse 15 says. Verse 15, Peter writes, for this is the will of God. That by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. And he says, live as free people. Or live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Again, you're God's servants. Next verse, verse 17, honor everyone. We're going to explain that word honor in a moment. Love the brotherhood. Okay, that's... Other Christ followers, he's saying, fear God, take God seriously, respect his laws, his ways, take him seriously, honor the emperor, the supreme leader. Now, if you want to know God's will in your response to authority, mutiny is not an option on the menu. Now, we're free to respond however we want. God has actually built freedom into who we are. We have choices, but Christ followers are called to use our freedom to serve God and his purposes. The word honor here in this passage, the word honor just means to give others a high value, to place a high value. And, in fact, everyone, every human being deserves to have value. I mean, they, they have a very high value, every human being, because they're made in the image of God. They bear God's image. So, for that reason, we should treat all people with honor. Honor everyone, he says. Just to make sure he understand, we understand his extreme point here, he ends this with honor the emperor. He wants us to not miss the issue of honoring whoever that leader is. Now, the word is very important. Now, let's go back to think about our current president, okay, for a moment. Just think about our current president. Get the image in your mind, okay, for a moment. Now, think about it in these terms. Now, think about the, the previous president. Think about Trump. Think about Obama. If you're having a hard time getting the image in your mind, here they are together. Okay? I believe this was Inauguration Day. I think this was the, the baton passing. Okay? How, how, are, how are we doing in this respect? Honor the emperor. Hold in high value 
the leader. How, how, how are you doing right now? How, are you, how were you doing under, under President Obama? Have you placed a high value on the presidents in that position? If it was just up to, to, to you, then you're free to run solo, right? But Peter says, for the Lord's sake, as his servants honor, Christ followers honor their leader. They honor the leader. Now, what this doesn't mean is it doesn't mean you agree. It doesn't mean you have to agree. You can actually disagree without disrespecting the leader and dishonoring the leader through words and actions. At the time, and what's interesting about this is at the time of Peter writing this, this is the emperor. The emperor was a man named Nero. He didn't like Christians. Uh, he was. He would light up his parties with Christians. He'd light them on fire as human torches, like human tiki torches. And Nero was far from a benevolent ruler. And he was cruel. But God was doing something through the Christians who lived differently in a hostile region. And the, the gospel message was spreading like wildfire as Christians lived differently. Peter's writing, honor the emperor. Isn't that unusual? It doesn't set well. Well, the Christians stood out. People were drawn to God. Now, we may not agree with their political agenda, And, and they may be evil, and this isn't a message about, well, where's the line? Because there is a line. There was clearly a line with Hitler. There's clearly a line with evil. But this isn't a message about that, okay? This isn't a message about when should we fight against. Um, we're not going to get into that. I could direct you some, to some resources to get you thinking about that question, if that's really where you're at and what you need to be thinking about. What I'm bringing up is what Peter's saying here about honor because of their position. Honor the person in that position. It's a very challenging thing, isn't it, to do this? In the work, let's shift gears. Let's shift to work. In the work arena, our goal is this. It's to develop grace-filled working relationships. Grace-filled working relationships. Very quickly, second, uh, second chapter, verse 18 through 20. 1 Peter 2.18 says, Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect. In these days, when Peter was writing, a person could indenture themselves as a servant to be cared for by a master. Okay, So a Jewish person could become a servant or a slave to a Jewish master with resources and say, I'll work for you, you're the boss, you're the master, and in exchange, I'm cared for, my family's cared for, and so resources are flowing, but there's a master and there's a servant here. So Peter's saying servants, you know, we can kind of translate this to how we relate to our bosses. We have, we have a boss, your employees, bosses, you might be the boss, you may have employees. Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect. Again, Peter's not mincing words here. With all respect, not only to the good master and the gentle master. We all like working for that guy, don't we? Just good and gentle but also to the unjust, Peter writes. Verse 19, For this is a gracious thing, when mindful of God, it's the same idea, for the Lord's sake, right? That's where we started. 
When mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. Verse 20, for what credit is it if when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? Like, why step out of line and, and retaliate with unjust treatment? What credit is it for you? But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. Under treatment, under unjust treatment, that brings up probably the greatest fear of us in working for people. We think, how am I going to arrange myself under that boss if they treat me wrong? What if they take credit for the work I've done? Or what if they, don't, what if they use me up and then don't reward me for my extra work and my focus and the things I've contributed and so fear in this area morphs into animosity and tension because we start trying to make sure we get what we think we're due. And our knee-jerk reaction is to begin to lash out, to begin to, you know, we might think, oh, I'm going to tell my boss off and give him a piece of his mind or her mind. And we might want to just react rather than really follow with all respect, like Peter's saying. Instead of animosity, we're told, be subject with all respect because we're mindful of God. And this is called, Peter says, this is a gracious thing. Why it's gracious? Because God is the one who gives us the grace to pull it off when we ask him for help in this area. In our country, it's very different than when Peter was writing. In our country, we have the freedom to leave our job if we don't think it's fair, if we don't like it anymore. You all have the freedom to, to find new work, right? No one has chained you to your boss to where you, you can think, well, I... But in, in Peter's case, people were indentured and they, they were owned by their master. And so it's a slightly different arrangement, but it, it draws up, a, a, again, a, a major point because it's more extreme in what Peter's writing about than what we face today. Yet we have such a difficult time with, with bosses. And as followers of Christ, we should never use the unjust action of the boss as an excuse to rebel. Now in the family arena, let's shift gears to that. Here, here's our aim in family life. To develop beautiful marriage relationships. To build, sorry, which is the same idea. Now there's a powerful and attractive beauty when a couple builds their marriage God's way. It paints a picture to the world that's looking and that knows this person's a Christ follower. This couple's they follow Christ. They claim to be Christians. That paints a picture. And I think... The pushback to the biblical approach to marriage in our society is based on the stereotypes of what it means to build a marriage based on the Bible's principles. So I want to encourage you to, throw out the stereotypes, look again at what God says about marriage from Peter. There's more passages than just Peter, but look at, look at this. Now, there's going to be more than likely an emotional reaction to some of these verses, so get through it, and then we'll, we'll talk about it. All right, verse 1, chapter 3. Likewise, likewise. So he's building on what he's been talking about, about submitting to authority, being subject to authority. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, like God's word, they, they're doing their own thing, they're not walking with God, they may be one without a word by the conduct of their wives. Verse 2, when they see your respectful and pure conduct. So you're showing respect. Your husband, your conduct, conduct, the motive behind that is pure. Verse 3, do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and the putting on of jewelry or the clothing that you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart 
with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. Now, the, the passage here, it applies the same principles that we've been looking at in government and workplace now to marriage. According to God's design, men, men are to be the leaders in family life. And what that means is this. It means that God holds the husband responsible and accountable for what happens in family life. God will check in with you, husbands. I'll check in with me as a husband on this issue. I'll give an account for how I treated my wife and my family. That's, that's the responsibility you bear as, as, as the head of your household. Is your responsibility. It doesn't mean, oh, I'm going to do whatever I want. Well, you'll give an account for doing whatever you want. You'll give an account. And so what this just means is that God, he, he's assigned the role of leadership to the husband. Now, these verses show wives how to have influence on their husbands who need to be won over. Okay, Now, you do that by, again, voluntarily arranging yourself under his leadership. And this applies to all sorts of areas. You volunteer. You choose this, wives. You choose to place yourself under his leadership. You yield to his leadership. And a wife who respects her husband and approaches him with this in mind, he, she is doing her part to make their marriage beautiful before the world that's looking on, and, and it pleases the Lord in that way. The beauty flows out of the cooperation and the respect that exists there in the marriage. Now, wives, your husbands are visual, okay? If you didn't know that. Your husbands are visual. Men are visual. But you know what's more powerful than outward beauty? And outward beauty is powerful, especially to a guy. You know what's more powerful? It's when you voluntarily yield to his leadership. That's more powerful. And it's more persuasive. Now, there was a time, I've been married for 19 years, and almost 19 years, there was a time where my wife, she got a haircut, and uh, she cut three or four inches off of her hair, and my wife uh, was with one of her friends who noticed her hair cut and said, you know, I like your haircut, or whatever gals say to each other, you know, about that. <laughs> and... and you know, my wife, she said, yeah, thanks for noticing, you know. Yeah, you know who didn't notice? <laughs> my husband. <laughs> That's me, you know. And, and I didn't notice it that night. Didn't notice it the next night. Didn't notice it for the whole week. The next week. Third week <laughs> comes around. And, uh, you know, she brought it up. And I was like, she would, it was, do you notice anything different about me? That kind of feels like a trap, doesn't it? <laughs> and, uh, I, oh, yeah. Did you get your hair cut? <laughs> and uh, now, my wife's voluntary submission to me is it's unmistakable. It's undeniable. When she shows me respect, when I'm not being all that respectable, and when she voluntarily appreciates me and communicates that to me, that builds me up, and it causes me to stand a little taller. And, and it, 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 
it, it does more to a man when he feels respected and admired by his wife and when she communicates that voluntarily, when she shows him respect around people or just to him, around the children, around friends. And uh, this is a very, very powerful thing. That's why Peter's saying, don't just adorn yourself outwardly because that's only going to get you so far. Peter's talking about a far more powerful way to influence your husband. And what this does is it paints a picture of God's grand design. Now, husbands, look at the command to you. Verse 7. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives. Now, don't again, don't react, ladies. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel. Since they're heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your hair, your your hairs may not be hindered, your prayers may not be hindered, <laughs> so that your prayers may not be hindered. Now, what does this mean? A, a, wise, a wise husband makes his marriage a thing of beauty by showing consideration and understanding towards his wife. He considers that she's different than him. Good men, they want to make their wife happy, not, not above God, but nonetheless they want to make them happy. So he considers her, and he makes decisions and leads her in a kind and considerate way. A godly husband shows respect to his wife, and really, well, she, he loves his wife, loving through action, through words, through time. Now, weaker here, when you're reading that, weaker is not a reference to value in any way. That's why Peter says this isn't about, they're co-heirs to the grace of life, they have the same value. This is a reference to the physical strength of a woman. And what this reminds us of is there is never freedom for a husband to use his power or to use control to manipulate physically or emotionally his wife and to dominate his wife in any way. There's never an exception for that. That's just out of line. Peter's saying you need to care for her. She's, she's more vulnerable. In the, the, the word vessel gets, gets this picture of the, the delicate nature of a woman. And you handle that relationship with care. She's easily damaged, more easily damaged than you are. Guys, if you have a rough, you know, encounter with someone at work, and you're like, man, I'm done with you. And they're like, I'm done with you. And you slam the door and you leave. You know, by the time you get back to work, you're like, what's up, man? How's it going? (laughs) You pound it out and you're ready for work today. You know, you might say, hey, what happened? Well, this is what happened. And all right, well, we're on the same page. Let's get get to it. That's just, typically, guys just, they're, they're, they're able to move forward in those moments. Not all the time and not all guys, but generally, husbands, we need to consider how to be careful with the way we interact. We need to seek to be understanding. We need to seek to, to really consider her, draw her out. If You do that if you want your spiritual life to go well. If you don't want your spiritual life to go well, then just disregard this area. But if you want God to hear your prayers, that's what he's saying at the bottom of this passage. If you want God to hear your prayers, then you need to love your wife, sacrifice for your wife, live in an understanding way, be considerate of her. She's in a pretty vulnerable spot to have to follow you, don't you think? And so that, that husbands, 
think about this image. I watched this movie yesterday called Ferdinand. It's about a giant bull, okay? It's, a, uh, it's an animated film. And this giant bull is large. It's a bull that, that everyone thinks this is going to be the best bull fighter, bull, bull that's in the ring, you know, in Spain. And, 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 but he doesn't want to be the bull in the, you know. He finds himself at one point in a china shop. Bull in a, it's like a, you ever heard that? It's like bull in a china shop, you know. I, I was wrestling with this passage and kind of thinking through imagery. And the, in the middle of the night, I woke up with this image. Husbands, we can be like bulls in a china shop in regards to how we care for our wife. If we're not careful, we can just be bringing great damage and great harm to someone who's very precious and valuable. And so husbands, instead, we're told, we're commanded to place a high value on who she is at her core. And if you don't treat your wife with consideration and respect, God takes it personally and your prayers are hindered. Do you hate dropping cell phone calls, like dead spots? Like, dang, I can't get around this dead spot. I'm always hitting this dead spot. Husbands, we only get so far if the pattern of how we relate is harsh, unloving, inconsiderate, not seeking to really understand and draw our wives out. And if, if we do that, don't be surprised if God drops the call when we're praying. And we feel like, man, God's just not working in my life. My prayers aren't being answered. I keep asking God to help me at work, and I'm stuck. Well, check this area out, because God may not be responding to the requests. Now, I've been married for 19 years, and I know many situations where I did not deserve my wife's respect, but still she gave it to me. And the reason she's able to, and wives, the reason you're able to do that is because you've chosen to put your hope in God and still follow his lead. You choose it, though. You choose to hope in God and follow his lead. And husbands, let's not be bulls in the china shop. You know what matters more than just bringing home the bacon? Is just intentionally focus on her and figure out what for her means he loves me. And when you seek to understand her more, when I do that in my marriage, that communicates love and care, and she's drawn to respect me even more at that point. You're not going to have, and I'm not going to have, a happy marriage through self-interest. And so God, what he's doing in these passages, he's showing us how to enjoy marriage, how to make ours a beautiful thing, and to build this picture for the world to see the difference that Christ really makes. Now, a common what-if scenario runs in our mind is connected to the injustice of all these different areas of life. And we'll wrap up with this, is that Peter shows what to, what to do when there's injustice. And we do this. We follow Christ's example. When leadership is unjust, whether in the home, whether at work, or in the government, or any authority structure, when leadership is unjust, we follow Christ's example. What if I do my part and I cooperate wholeheartedly and, and I'm ripped off by those in power? This is the question that is answered clearly by the one that we follow, Jesus. Look at what happened with Jesus. Verse 21. For this, for to this you've been called because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He was mistreated. He was unjustly treated. It says he committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. Look at the next verse. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but he continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He entrusted himself to God. Who, God the Father 
he was working out the plan that, that he's working out the Father's plan. He's playing his role in the plan. He'd submitted himself to the role that he was to play on the earth by going to the cross, suffering and dying unjustly. And all sorts of people had a problem with it. Like, this shouldn't be happening. It says, He Himself bore our sins in His body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By His wounds, you have been healed. This passage pretty much speaks for itself. But when Peter tells us that Christ is our example, the Greek word for example here literally means to copy something or to imitate something. So it's like what we did in grade school when we were tracing, learning to, to draw and develop penmanship. The idea here is you copy Christ as you would copy letters. You keep your eyes focused on what you're trying to trace. You stay within the lines. You keep practicing until the tracing you know, gets you to the point where you can write it yourself. And what we have to keep in mind about these passages is that Peter himself was not a pushover. Peter was not a pushover. He was a strong individual. And I bet people who knew Pre-Christ Peter were like, man, what happened to you when you became a Christ follower? Something's different about you. Peter, what got into you? And what got into Peter was this imagery. It's not that imagery. Not, not that. But the imagery, that passage, Jesus, he bore our sin on the tree. He, he suffered unjustly and he entrusted himself to him who judges justly and trusted himself to God. And Peter had an image burned in his mind. It was Jesus' life, his death, and his resurrection. And God's perfect plan was nothing like what any of us would have come up with. And yet it transformed him in all these areas. It gave him a new identity. Now, Peter eventually died for his faith as a martyr in practically the same manner through crucifixion. He was crucified upside down. And he trusted God. And Peter died for his faith. He closed his eyes in this life, and when he opened his life, he found himself in the, in the presence of his good and gracious God, and he received his full inheritance on that day. Now, now side note, maybe you've been burned through, through sin or through unfaithfulness from a leader. And I'm not, I'm not trying to gloss over any of that, because if you've been mistreated by a leader, sin is sin. Sin is sin. But even when Jesus suffered unjustly, God had the final word. It wasn't over. God redeemed the hurt and brought new life through it. And so two specific responses we learn from Jesus is this. Never excuse wrongdoing. Don't excuse it. That's why it says of Jesus, he committed no sin. He didn't revile in return. Injustice towards you is never an excuse to sin against them. Okay? Injustice towards you is never... An excuse. That's lesson number one from the one that we follow. Also, disagreeing with the leader is not licensed to disregard them or disobey their direction. Just disagreeing is not, that's not licensed to step out from under their leadership. We might be tempted to think, well, if God wanted me to do what the leader is directing me to do, then God would have told me directly. But God actually speaks to and works through authority structures in our life. He's working we don't see all how that comes together. These passages are essentially God is saying, look, trust me and follow your leaders. Trust me and follow your leaders. Now, again, there's a limit. It's not the message to talk about. The limits on evil leaders. There are people you should never follow. 
But the next thing Jesus did in the face of injustice is he left the outcome to God. And Jesus faced the ultimate. He's the only person on earth who was crucified as a common criminal. And here's what he did. When he suffered, he didn't threaten. He entrusted himself to him who judges justly. The key question that we're really wrestling when it comes to authority is, God, can I really trust you? That's, that's the, the big issue here. God, can I really trust you? Will you really take care of me? And this is where we need to wrestle, and this is where we want to yield this morning. So I want to invite our worship team to come back up to the stage. And the next steps here is there's a verse to consider memorizing. The next one is ask God for forgiveness for blowing up toward a leader. If you, if you cross the line towards a leader in your life, clear that up with them. Ask God first. Clear that up with God. Confess that to God. And then get that straightened out with the leader in your life. And then we've left another blank for you to just consider if there's something else specific that he's wanting you to do in response. Then uh, as we pray, maybe ask God to show you real specifically. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this time that we've looked in your word at a very challenging subject this morning of authority. We realize this is not easy stuff. And so, God, we pray that the stuff you want to stick in our minds, Lord, that you would lodge deep in our minds and into our hearts, Lord, that we might be changed people. That it's not for ourselves, Lord, but that we would live for your sake, Lord, and we'd be mindful of you as your servants. We bear your name in this world, Lord. Help us to live differently. And, Lord, we pray that you strengthen us, God, today as we find ourselves, God, in some challenging situations right now. So, God, we pray for help and clarity and next steps, Lord, that would please you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks so much for joining us today. We pray you've been encouraged by the message and equipped to move forward in obedience to God's word. Join us again next week for another Orange Crest Community Church podcast.